This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, we have two things happening that are fresh and exciting on Self Work. The first is announcing a new sponsor, Athletic Greens. I'm truly thrilled about their presence here because of what their product has done for my own health and well-being. So before we get to our conversation with our guest author for today, let me share with you what this very special product is offering to self-work listeners. When Athletic Greens reached out to me, I of course said I'd need to try the product, and I was actually shocked. It tastes great with cold water, and I felt more focused. I've had better digestion and energy. Even my non-health-conscious husband is loving it. Let me give you some facts. They call it a life-changing nutritional habit. To me, it's like giving yourself a gift every morning. It contains 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, including probiotics and something called adaptogens. It fits all kinds of diets and has less than one gram of sugar, and it's easy. One scoop in the morning, and you can do away with so many of those other expensive supplements that you swallow every night. And because I said a fervent yes to their sponsorship, you can visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork And along with the product, you'll receive a free year supply of vitamin D3, and most of us are deficient, and K2 in one tiny drop, as well as five convenient travel packs. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash self-work and experience it yourself. You know, I always focus on what you can do about it, and Athletic Greens fits the bill. The second event that's making this 225th episode of Self Work Special is my very unique and inspiring guest, Jenny Lawson. If you haven't read her hilarious books, she's more than open about her emotional and mental struggles with chronic mental illness, including severe social anxiety and chronic debilitating, at times, depression. So debilitating that for months, she's often been dysfunctional. In her new book, Broken in the Best Possible Way, she makes you laugh until you don't think you can laugh anymore about her battles with insurance, her autoimmune disorders, the destructive side effects of medicine, of wacky, funny things that go on between herself and her husband, and many embarrassing side stories of what her life is really like. Her memory is shot. She loses crap all the time. She has a fascination with weird animal creatures, especially stuffed ones. And the graphic on the front of the book says it all, as every day she hauls around a huge horned animal as her mental and physical illnesses weigh her down. But she's also very quick to say that she's grown from having them. She wouldn't wish this path of learning on anyone, but it's been quite a path. I'm humbly honored and pleased to have her here at Self Work. So I introduce you to Jenny Lawson. Hey, Jenny. How are you? <laughs> I am doing so great. I, I've been waiting a long time to meet you, actually. So oh, I am so thrilled. Nice. So, you know, I know you probably don't have a lot of time, but what I like to do with people is I'm, I'm a psychologist and a therapist, and I like to read your book um, from cover to cover, which I did this weekend. 
and I pick out quotes that kind of say, I don't know, they just catch my eye about something I might like to ask you about. So, okay, the first one that I was really so struck by, this book seemed to me to be a little more that you were reaching out more to people in a really intimate way. I don't know if that was pandemic oriented or something, because I'll I'll say something about um, your quotes. First, there was something when you were talking about your memory issues. Know that I'm okay with not having that memory right now because the me that holds it tight is keeping it safe and uncorrupted and glorious. And she loves you. And I do too. Ah, it was just so beautiful. And then the second one really struck me. Right now, as you read this, you are alone, you gorgeous, solitary creature, but I am with you. We share this paragraph and these words, and even if you don't agree with me, you are listening, and we have connected in small and large ways, and in that way, we are not alone. We are together. So was that a special focus of this book, or am I off track? Uh, No, no, it really was, because I I had a lot of issues with... um, isolation in the last five years. Um, and, and I think like a lot of people can really deal with that now in the last year. Um, but mine started a little earlier um, just because I, I was dealing so a lot um, with agoraphobia and, yes. you know, just a lot of anxiety that kind of made me feel isolated even when I was surrounded by people. And Mm -hmm. so, um, so I think, yeah, a lot of this book was me just reaching out in the only way that I could. It was remarkable. I mean, I'd be reading along and then all of a sudden here would come this, these words that were very intentionally meant to pull, I felt like to pull the reader into a world where you said, hey, listen, I get you. I, and I love you. I mean, it was just, it was this direct outpouring of caring. It was if you wanted it to come across, it came across. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is really nice. You know, I, I'm very, very lucky in that I have a really wonderful community of people um, on the Internet where whenever I feel very, very alone, I go on Twitter and be like, someone tell me that I'm going to get through this. You know, someone tell me that, um, that this is going to pass because I know, I know it is, I know depression lies, but I just need someone else to say it out loud. And, um, and there are always people who respond, even if it's, and it is often three o'clock in the morning when, you know, my mind quiet and everything is a mess. Um, and so I wanted this book to be, um, very much like the help that, that, my community has given to me to make me feel like even when I'm most alone, that's actually probably when I'm least alone because we all feel so incredibly alone. Yeah. I, I, I guess you're the, both the giver and the receiver of that then it feels like to you. So that's really a wonderful place to be. Uh, And again, I think that's very much a product of your own transparency and people feel you know, that you say, yes, sometimes I need help too. And then they're ready to give it because you've given so much of yourself. I love all the funny stories you tell about yourself. I also, you know, 
my husband and I, or my husband and son kid me about, I fall so much that they have a rating system. It's like at the Olympics and they go, that was a 7.8, you know, (laughs) come on, you can do better. (laughs) It's just amazing. And I've, tell the things about the one shoe, losing one shoe. I mean, just fill our listeners in on a little bit of that because that was, that was great. So yeah, there's an entire chapter all about the times where I have lost a shoe while wearing them. Um, and, <laughs> and you'd think there wouldn't be enough for a chapter, but in fact, there are. Because I have rheumatoid arthritis, one of my, uh, my feet will sort of like the swell and then they'll go back down and then they'll swell and they'll go back down. So my shoes never completely fit, uh, fit right. And so there's this, this constant thing of me walking out of of shoes and um quite often i walk out of them while i'm in an elevator and then the elevator goes up and then i don't see my shoe again and i have to go search for it and you know it's 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 funny because um you know there are all these just ridiculous stories as they're happening to me i'm like this is mortifying it was embarrassing and my husband is like what is wrong with you um but then those end up being the stories that people can relate to, even if they can't relate, because that is ridiculous, but they can relate to this idea that like, I was mortified. This is ridiculous. Um, But if you can find a way to laugh at it, it makes it so much better. And actually it was funny. So the first chapter is about um, memory loss and confusion and, and all of that. And I, I think all one in of your the, head, the most, I think you call yes, it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, one, one of the, the, the most interesting stories that isn't included in the book is the fact that I, I kept thinking like, I should write this chapter about the, all the ways that I've lost my shoes while still wearing them. And I was working on it in my head. And I finally kind of came up with like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, list form. And I, start working on it and I, I get about halfway done and um, and I'm like, why does this feel familiar? And I go and I look and I had already started writing the exact same chapter several <laughs> months before, completely forgotten and had written it in a completely different way. Like one was chronological and one was list form. And, and so I had to go and take these two chapters and sort of like go like, okay, well, what's the best sentence from here? And what's the, but it was so, I was like, okay, honestly, what, how is that even possible that I wrote this chapter twice? <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's just, I don't know, doubly good or something. But, <laughs> you know, as you were talking, Jenny, I was kind of wondering to myself, Sometimes I have people who know they can be real resilient and they come across as really resilient to other people. And they'll look at me and say, you know, I get tired of being considered resilient. Do you ever get tired of that? Um, I don't get tired of um, being considered resilient because I never feel resilient. Um, mm. it, it never, it's never something that I um, relate to. I, I think it would be different if it was something where I was making a choice, like a conscious effort to battle something. Um, but really all I'm doing is just sharing what's going on with my life. And it can be, you know, really hard and exhausting. Um, mm-hmm. That was really I feel like I don't have, yeah, I, don't, I feel like I don't have a choice as this is the way that I communicate because I'm, I'm such an introvert. This is the only way that I can get out the thoughts that are in my, in my head. 
So I feel very lucky and privileged that people continue to listen to me, even though when I, every time I write something, I'm like, oh, nobody's going to like this. This is awful. And, and I know some of that is, you know, depression and anxiety and imposter syndrome. Um, but I, I mean, I think everybody sort of, sort of deals with that same idea of like, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, and it can make it, it an, an even larger feeling of cognitive dissonance when people are like, you know, you're amazing and you're so funny. And, and I'm like, I'm so depressed right now. Like, you don't even know. Like, I'm just, I barely got up to take a shower. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that's important to keep in mind that you only see this tiny little percentage. So like this book took me five years. So I do think, you know, it's really funny and people say it's really funny and and great. Um, But at the same time, like there were wide, you know, months in between where I, I, all I can do is just breathe and survive and, uh, and wait until my brain comes back around again. And and is funny. Though my, my head is saying like, you'll never be funny again. You'll never write again. You'll never have creativity. So learning how to remind myself that depression lies, even when I'm in the middle of those lies has been a constant battle that's not fun. No, no, it's not fun. Chronic mental illness has absolutely no fun about it. I mean, I, you know, it's, it takes such a, the resilience it takes. I love um, oh Andrew Solomon's quote: "The opposite of depression is it happiness; it's vitality, and having that sense of energy and vitality. And you don't have that consistently. It goes, it comes, it goes, and it, the morning when it passes is just so. Oh, why can't I get that back? You know, and so, okay. So I want to go back a little bit because." There was one sentence <laughs> that kind of floored me, know you, knowing you from West Texas. You said, and you were struggling with anxiety as a kid, which again says how long you've been dealing with all this. Mm-hmm. You said, my mother took a job as a cafeteria lady so she'd have the same hours as me. And what I was so struck by was that, you know, again, more typical or more stereotypically typical perhaps would be, come on, Jenny, you know, and, and it seemed that your mother, I don't know if your father as well, seemed particularly sensitive to you. Is that true? Um, That sentence seems to say it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, my dad has dealt with mental illness for most of his life as well. Um, but I didn't really know that growing up because um, when I was growing up, it was more, it was something that you would kind of hide and you weren't supposed to be out about it. Um, and so I think that she, she understood more than, than she thought just because she understood what my dad had been, mm-hmm. uh, had gone through. And then I think a part of it was poor thing. Like it, she just really kind of had no choice because I was so violently, sick when I was, um, when I had this separation anxiety where, you know, she would, she would be like, okay, well, I can't really get a job anywhere else because 
<laughs> you're throwing up all the time and I have to come get you. It was very nice about it. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, there was still always that in the back of my mind of like, why can't I just be like my sister? My sister can, she can go to slumber parties and she can go, you know, on vacation with my grandparents and she can leave the house and go to school and just do the things that normal people don't even think twice about the energy that it takes. So, yeah. Well, I mean, again, sort of talking about the chronicity, I mean, that, that started really early on for you, for you. And it's, um, um, it's amazing that you, and I want to get to TMS here in a second, but I do have one. I, I've got so many things I want to ask you about. <laughs> the story of the fountain really got to me, you know, as I have had anxiety disorder myself, you know, I've certainly accepted it. I used to not talk, I used to be ashamed of it, not talk about it. And I realize it's given me a lot of humility, a different kind of humility than I think I would have ever had. And so I actually have appreciated it because of that. But if you if you tell the story of the fountain, it was so beautiful because it's to me, it's really seeing the gifts that certain struggles can give you. And you've been through this series of can't everybody. I know I'm, I'm not going to tell the story. I'd much rather have you tell the story. <laughs> sure. So this was when my. I think it was when my second book had come out and I was on tour, was in New York. And when I am on tour, I can't do really anything other than just tour because I am so exhausted from it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was in New York and I was, you could like look out and see, you know, Times Square and Carnegie Hall and, you know, all these places that, that you think like don't exist and then you're there and then they do exist and, and I kept thinking, like, they're outside my window. I need to just go downstairs and just go, just go out in the street and just, and I could not myself leave my room um, because my anxiety was just so strong. And so um, I felt like a failure and I sat down on the floor and I opened up the window, um, which for some reason, all of the windows in New York open. So weird. That does not happen in the South in hotels. That's so, it's so strange. Um, but I opened up the window and I was like, at least this makes me feel like I'm kind of, you know, there I can feel the breeze and I can hear the people Then I looked down and there was this fountain and it looks like a dandelion and each one of the dandelion, um, it, kind of sprays off and and I looked and um, the water was creating this like rainbow fire, this prism of just beautiful rainbow mist. And I'd never seen anything like it before. And I, I looked to see if the other people down on the street were seeing the same thing because it was so amazing. Like I grabbed my camera and I was taking pictures of it and everybody kept walking by like it was nothing. And I just thought, well, maybe they're just so used to it. Um, and, but no, I realized that it was because of the angle of where I was up high in the building that I was the only person that could see it. And there was something oh, no. so wonderful about the fact that it was on this path that I got to see something really beautiful that my anxiety lifted me accidentally mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have seen if I had been on the streets. I just kind of got chills when I, when I heard that. And I, it is such a interesting thing to ask people to look around their own lives and try to see if there's anything, any perceptions or experiences that they think that they've had that are, are tied or, uh, 
uh, linked very closely with the uh, with their struggles and with the the part that maybe right in that moment they're even hating that they have or why can't I do whatever people other people can do and and then yet you know you have this ability to see this and it was it was just this message of look around and make sure you're not missing what is you know and what can be there for you it was really beautiful you know one one of the things that that we that that I have gotten, I think, from, I mean, I wouldn't choose mental illness because no. it's exhausting, but I think it, it does, it does quite often help you to have a deeper well of compassion for other people. Mm-hmm. You can, you can see yourself in them and you know that your own struggle isn't as obvious. And so it's, it's easier, I think, to look and say, everyone has their own private struggle that may seem so simple or even non-existent to me. Um, but that they're battling themselves right now. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about battle, because between your emotional, mental issues, struggles, diagnoses, as well as your physical ones with RA and other autoimmune issues that you have, you really talked about just the shit show that all that is Mm -hmm. for you. And the um, what I wrote some things down haggling with insurance especially when they say things that mimic what depression says to you uh, side effects of meds doctors not thinking systemically like you know they treat one little issue in the problem and finally someone says let's look at the whole thing and so how have you kept up your drive to deal with that just mishmash and and what can seem often like a very non-caring if you don't fit in this hole exactly then you, you know you don't get to do what people in that you know you we we cannot check this box about you so therefore you don't get this treatment or you don't get this um opportunity and how have you kept up your mm, what would even be the word for it stubbornness persistence <laughs> uh I, th- I think persistence is a is a good word for it because you do have to be persistent or else you don't get the care that you deserve. Um, you know, our healthcare system right now is in crisis and the, you know, anybody who's had to deal with insurance already knows how absolutely ridiculous it is trying to get the most basic things covered um, and how many appeal after appeal you have to go through and all of the, you know, you know, the incredible amount of work that you have to do just for the basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I struggled with trying to get my antidepressants covered with my last insurance um, to the point where I, you know, I wrote a whole chapter about it. And then I, I switched to, uh, they, they finally um, were like, okay, okay, I guess, I guess you do need them. And we will cover them. And this was after a year of fighting and paying, you know, $300 a month for, you know, antidepressants. And it's just so crazy. Yeah, one pill. Yes, yeah. One pill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, this was, this was the whole, this is three. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, thank God for that. Exactly. But, they, um, but then I switched to another insurance company um, at the end of last year because my husband changed jobs and it started all over again. So I was like, yep, it's not just one of them um, to the point mm-hmm. where, I mean, this is, what is this? March? Uh, I'm still paying, you know, two to three hundred dollars a month because I they still have they actually ju- I just got a call from them today and they were like, oh, no, we are approving it. And I was like, really? Because I got a letter from you saying that you're not approving it. They're like, really? I sent that. I'm like, you did. You sent <laughs> you. Oh, my gosh. What? 
Um, so, so yeah, it, it takes an, an, an enormous amount of energy, which is something that you don't have when you are having to fight um, because you're, you're sick or you're, you know, especially if you're dealing with depression, depression is already telling you that you, you know, don't deserve treatment and this is taking money away from your family and you should be able just to smile and get over it. And, and then that's mimicked by the same information that you get from your insurance company saying like, we exactly. don't think this is medically necessary and no, you're making too much of a big deal out of it. Um, so the thing that has been the most helpful for me is to um, look at it that I'm not just battling for myself. I'm battling every single person who's dealing with the same thing um, because I'm really lucky that because I have a more open-ended schedule, I can stay on the phone with them for four hours time. And they're, they're depending on you not to do that. They want you to be able to say, <laughs> this is not worth my time and give up. Uh, and I don't, I have a, you know, three page single space document, just of the people that I've talked to in the last three months um, of every single person. And when they're like, I don't know, we're going to have to transfer you. And, and you expect after four hours on the call that I'd give up. And instead I'm like, yeah, okay. Transfer me. I want to hear somebody <laughs> else say this again. Out loud. Say it, say it out. Loud. See how it sounds. Um, so, so that is one. The other thing is, uh, relying on someone else to, you know, share your story and be, and have them say, oh, you're totally right. Yes. You should have that covered. Because you, you, you start to think like, well, maybe I am being, you know, ridiculous, asking for mm-hmm. basic health care. And, um, and then the other thing is knowing that it's okay to sometimes take a little break. Um, there are times when uh, it'll be two weeks in between when I start, you know, calling the insurance company again, because I know I just don't have money for it. Um, yeah. So, you know, give yourself permission to... Uh, take a break. Or even if you have, you know, a a kid or a parent or a spouse who can help um, on your behalf, sometimes it can help. Um, And then get the doctors involved as much as possible. Uh, Although my doctors have gone to the point where they're like, this is exhausting and we don't even want to deal with this anymore. Like, I, I just, I feel so bad for every single person who has to fight for typically four months before you get your stuff approved. And then you know that eight months later, they're going to be like, hey, it's a new year. You got to start all over again. You're like, right. I've already done this. That's right. Well, and you talk a lot in the book about Victor. And Victor yes. is your husband. Uh-huh. And you talk a lot about laughter. And there was certainly a lot of innuendo and fun and what y'all have to say to yes. one another. And it's really fun in the book. And I, by the way, in the intro, I did talk about the name of the book. I haven't even mentioned the name of the book yet. It's broken. <laughs> so anyway, Victor said one time when you were had the TMS, and I want you to talk about the TMS a little bit. He was wondering if you'd still need him because you were so much better. And he said to you, you're a bad risk, but one I'm willing to take. I think that was before the TMS. Mm-hmm. And then your doctor said, you're going to be fine with TMS because, quote, I think you'll be fine no matter what. You don't let your pain go to waste. Yeah. And I wanted you to talk about the TMS and your doctor's comments about that. How did you take that? You don't let your pain go to waste. Um, honestly, it was one of the nicest things that anybody has ever said to me. Um, I and, was floored. Oh, my gosh, yes. And in particular, because I had, I had fought so much along with him to get this treatment covered and he was 
so kind about it. And I mean, for months and months of him talking to, you know, demanding, you know, let, let me talk to another doctor. Let me talk to, he was just, he was amazing. Um, He's been a warrior for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that makes such a difference. Um, Yeah. So, so I, I wanted to do TMS because my doctor had, uh, had recommended it and it's, transcranial magnetic stimulation that's basically where they put it sounds ridiculous they put like magnets on your head and then the waves they sort of tap in and they can kind of change your um change your brain in a positive way Uh, they create new neural pathways supposedly exactly so there's one side is for your depression the other side is for anxiety um, and they only do it for uh, typically treatment-resistant depression. So you have to have basically mm-hmm. failed a ton of different uh, treatments, which I had. And um, I, when I, when I finally had it done, which like a third of the people that get it, they don't have any reaction at all. A third of the people have uh, some reaction, and a third go into complete remission, which I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, but I was in that middle third where okay. I would say it took me about 75% out of like a very deep depression that I had been in for months and months. Um, mm-hmm. And and it really helped with my anxiety to the point that I was able to, for about nine months, get off of my anti-anxiety medication, which is... That's amazing. incredible. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're someone who has been on it for like a decade or longer, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I think I actually don't need to have this filled for nine months. That's amazing. But it was, it was sort of uh, difficult in a lot of ways because I wasn't used to being very stable and sort of independent and being able to drive myself around and do the things that I wanted to do. And and so it did create this strange, um, huge new dynamic between you and Victor and and your daughter too. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And you think it's all going to be, you know, positive and happy. And my doctor had, had said like, you need to be aware that this is, it often can cause a lot of issues because one person is so used to being relied on the other person, you can create this, you know, like not really healthy sort of um, balance and, you know, refinding that balance can be hard. And it was, it was, you know, Victor really had a hard with, you know, he was like, I, it feels like you don't need me as much. And, sure. you know, and, and my daughter was just like, this is so great, but what's, uh, what's going on here? Like, what, how do you suddenly have energy? This feels like, a, this feels like a different mom and what's going on. And, but, you know, but we got, we got through it and it was in the end, it was a very positive experience to the point where about a year later, when I started to fill down again, um, I went in for another round, and honestly, it's been a, about a year since the last time. If it wasn't, if this wasn't COVID times, I probably would be right having another three-month treatment because for me, it was uncomfortable. It was expensive. Um, it takes a lot of time. I'm very lucky I was able to get it done, um, and it, for me, it was worth it. Yeah, um, but, I, but, I've had several patients do it, and and I've had about that 
third, third, third kind of response to it too. So, but I, it is one of the new things that, that the psychiatric community does have to offer. And a lot more of that is happening. So I was, I thought when you said, oh, I'm really considering this treatment, I was so hoping it was TMS because I just think that's really cool that you could write about it and, and educate people about it. So we mentioned your daughter a little bit and you may not want to talk about her. But, you know, I know I have a lot of listeners um, who worry about how their depression or anxiety or PTSD or whatever they're dealing with, you know, how their child is dealing with it and whether they're going to have it genetically and is that their fault and blah, 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 blah. So, and not blah, 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 like discounting it. It just goes on and on and on. Yes. And I do remember your daughter kind of congratulating you and kind of being, mom, you've done good, you know. And so what what has that been? And again, if this is a little sensitive, we'll just. Oh, no, no, it's it's good. I am, you know, I don't I don't talk about my daughter's her like her personal mental health journey because um, I think that's like that's her story to tell. And even though I know she wouldn't mind me talking about it, she's 16. And I really think you need to be an adult before you. 100% 100% know what it is that you're, you know, you're getting into. Sure. Um, but, but here are some things that I can share. Um, first off that, um, especially when she was, she was too young for me to really explain to her what depression was and so and so instead, I would just say, I just don't feel good. I'm just a little sick. Um, and I felt like I was failing as a mother because I, I couldn't cook and I couldn't clean and I couldn't do like so many things. And I would just, sit on the couch. And, and so um, what I would do is I would turn on um, like Dr. Who or, you know, something that I knew that we both would enjoy together. And I felt like, well, at least I'm, you know, I'm spending some time with her. And I, I felt really guilty about all of that time. Um, but then as she got older and I started, she was old enough that I was starting to be her like what mental health is and what depression is and this is how it affects me and she she didn't have any of these memories of like oh my mom was a slug on the couch instead she had these memories <laughs> of spending time with her of like yeah of, yeah of, watching doctor who exactly <laughs> of, of, yeah you weren't off you know like cooking and cleaning and whatever you were sitting right there next to me and you know and letting me braid your hair and <laughs> So, yeah. So, so I would say, first of all, we probably judge ourselves way uh, more harshly. Um, I think the other thing. I would agree there. All you people who deal with shame, please listen. Exactly. (laughs) I would think, I would say the other thing is, I think it can be very helpful to talk to your kids about your own struggles, whether it be with, you know, mental illness or whatever it is, because it, first of all, gives them permission to come to you to talk about when they're having their struggles. Um, and also it lets them realize that you are human and sometimes you make mistakes and and that gives them permission to be human and to to make mistakes. I, I will say that I think something that parents in general maybe struggle with um, with their their own kids is that we have an idea in our head of what mental illness looks like because we are so, you know, ingrained with this is what anxiety looks like for me or how it presents for me that sometimes it can be a little hard to recognize it in your children because maybe it presents totally different way. So, so yeah. So, you know, keep keeping that open mind and just really listening as much as you can, I think can be really helpful. You know, what I've said to folks is that, I mean, I, anxiety 
runs my family. I found an old clipping about my grandfather who died. He died when my dad was 15. But um, they were talking about that he would try to get up and speak and and he would get all red faced and he couldn't make his words very well. And then they would laugh and he'd sit down. Well, he was had performance anxiety. You know, that's what it sounds like. He had, was having a panic attack, which was fascinating for me to see. But, you know, what I have learned is that when I began then seeing my son struggle some with anxiety, and his was more he needed things placed a certain way, especially when he was young and that kind of thing, I said, okay, you know what, I know this is not my kind of anxiety, but I also do know what it's like to learn how to accept it in yourself and just to say, I have to, I can't, if I don't accept it, I can't manage it. If I hate it, I can't manage it. Exactly. So I think that's so important and, and for folks to remember that you have, if you've accepted whatever struggles you have, then again, you, as you point out very aptly, yours may not be exactly what theirs are, but you know, that acceptance process is something that you've got down and can offer to them. Yes, so, yes. and also just yeah. recognizing that the tools that, that they have may not necessarily be the tools that you have. Um, and, you know, that's like, for me, I have, you know, these really specific things that I'm like, oh, this is what helps me with depression or anxiety. And I call it like my tool chest of like, okay, well, have I had enough to drink today? First of all, you know, have I gotten outside? Have I, you know, and so I do like all the basic things. And if those don't like, okay, then we go to the next level. Then we go to the next level. And, um, and so that's, that's the very easy thing for me. But then, you know, maybe your child's maybe like, oh, the, here's the thing that I need is I need to wear headphones because I'm overly stimulated. And you're like, no, take the headphones off. And I just want to see your pretty face. And what are you doing? And you have to recognize that like everybody's got their own tools. And just because theirs look different, it doesn't mean that they're not as valid. And and the world has changed a little bit. Yes, it has. has. Well, I have one last question, and then I'm very appreciative of your time and realize you're in a series of these interviews. (laughs) Again, the the book is called Broken in the Best Possible Way, and it is wonderful. I hope this is a series, and this isn't the last in the series. But I'd like for you to talk about therapy a little bit, because I started the Self Work Podcast because I just thought there was so much misinformation and misunderstanding about therapy. And I wanted to try to get on the air and talk like a normal person and, you know, laugh and and just present a very approachable therapeutic kind of situation. Not that a podcast is therapy, but I wanted to try to do that. So I, I'm interested. I've asked almost everybody that I've, I've only, you're only my like sixth guest. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, <laughs> What would you say the role therapy has played for you? Well, you know, when I when I first started in therapy, it was therapy only without medication, which was not really a good fit. Um, and then after that, I when I realized that my uh, depression is uh, more clinical depression and that it wasn't necessarily something traumatic that had happened, um, uh, they were like, "Oh, you should just see a psychiatrist." and and just get medication. And um, that didn't work for me either. Um, I mean, it helped, but I, I needed more than that because even though, you know, I wouldn't say anything terribly traumatic has happened to me that I need to, you know, talk through and work through every 
single day something happens that I need to talk through. And, and, and I hate through. to tell you, but I think having a goat um, burned up or barbecued <laughs> backyard, I'm not sure what I, I think that was okay. a little traumatic for me. It's a little traumatic. I think what I found is that um, it is incredibly helpful to have someone that you can trust, that you can talk to about uh, for me, I deal a lot with um, intrusive thoughts and obsessive thoughts. And mm-hmm. sometimes the only way that I can get rid of them is to talk to somebody who is not a friend and not family and can like legitimately say, okay, that's crazy. Or, yeah. oh, no, mm-hmm. that's maybe that is something you need to be concerned about. Um, I have found it just so incredibly helpful. One of the things though that I do wish that I would have known right from the very beginning is that just like not every teacher is right for you and one's going to work and one isn't same thing with therapy where like if you go to therapy and you're like, this isn't working, that doesn't necessarily mean that therapy doesn't work for you. It just means maybe Mm -hmm. that that therapist isn't the right. And that's okay. Like it's the same thing why you have someone who's your best friend and someone who you don't like at all. Like everybody has different, different needs. So I would say, um, I wish I would have known when I was younger that if you're not having it like a good rapport with your therapist, it's totally okay to say, I don't think this is totally working. You're not going to hurt their feelings. In fact, they probably would probably picked up on the fact that you're not maybe sharing as much. Um, Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, it's like dating, you know, you go out and then when you find the right person, you're like, oh, finally, I can talk and I can, okay, I feel like this person hears me and. Right, 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 right. Yes, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and um, I don't think any therapist is. So that's a very helpful thing to say. I, you know, I've had some really bad therapy, and I've had some good therapy, and right. so you know, I've had some excellent therapy, in fact. And uh, that's why I'm a therapist. That's why I'm a psychologist because it really uh, changed my life. So, so now you've opened a bookstore. Yes, I. I that's exciting. <laughs> you know, I was like, let's see. What's a way to make money? Open an independent bookstore in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's so, we like, we literally, I, I'm pretty sure we're probably the longest running bookstore that has never opened its doors to customers. We've been, I mean, we've been open for longer than a year and, uh, and still nobody can come in. Um, but oh, God. the good thing though is that we have a really good community and so we have tons of people who you know order off the website and they do curbside and then I started this book club called the Fantastic Strangelings Book Club where once a month I pick this I pick a, a book that I think is not going to get enough attention and um, we all read it together and uh, we have like thousands of members now and they are sustaining us and you know, uh, paying for the rents and for our employees and our, I mean, it's, I, I feel so, so lucky at this beautiful one store that no one has ever been to, but it's still supported. <laughs> well, that's wonderful to hear. That is really great. And I'm sure those authors really, <laughs> really appreciate that too, because yes. um, having published a book back in late 2019 myself I, I know those I know those fears nobody will read it so yes. Anyway. yes it's so hard it's so hard and you put it out in the world and and you don't know and and the publishers are afraid to you know should we put it out should we let's not print too many and then there's not enough and then 
yeah, it's a, it's a scary time to be an author. I mean, so it's a scary time yeah. to be anybody, I guess. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Well, I want to thank you so very much again. Um, I, I, I've been looking forward to this. I mean, y'all contacted me maybe a couple of weeks ago and I was like, I'm getting on this. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and when does your book come out? Is April, it maybe? A, it's April, I think, or maybe the 5th. I don't remember. I should know that. Okay. So thank you and um, be well. And I'm so glad that you share what you do. It is very, very meaningful. Uh, Lori Gottlieb, I noticed on the cover, said about you that she feels like, you know, you are a, a clinician, a fellow clinician. And I really liked her comment because I thought, you know, you're so knowledgeable about it by now that it it's um, it a lot of what you have to say is steeped in your experience and you have a lot of wisdom to share. And I believe we all do, but you know, you're, you're kind enough and talented enough to share it with all of us in a way that just makes us guffaw at times. So, and but then also, and the reason why I wanted to bring up the, the quotes that I did is because there are also times my, my eyes teared a little bit when I, because I, I could recognize how much you were trying to say, you are not alone. And, and that is such an important message to people. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so very much. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good one. You're welcome. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> My many thanks and gratitude to Jenny. I so enjoyed that conversation, and I know that all of you did too. Again, her book is Broken in the Best Possible Way. It's only her latest in a series of really incredible books where she's very open and honest and funny and extremely caring for those who are reading the book. She also has a blog called The Blog S. She has a book club that she said something about. I'm sure it's on The Blog S., and I sure hope you check her out. Thanks to those of you who've left ratings and reviews on Amazon for my own book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. I have to say I got an email today, very early this morning, from a woman who's extremely successful. She comes from a line of very successful women. But she told me that she's miserable, she's lonely, accomplishment has brought her nothing, she's tired of deflecting and controlling, She's actually grown more and more depressed, sought treatment finally, but that's when she found Perfectly Hidden Depression. And I don't say this out of pride. I say it to reach those of you who may be in her boat. She said to me, your book is saving my life. So please, if you're like her, if all you do is deflect and control, then perhaps Perfectly Hidden Depression is for you or for someone you love. You can reach me at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Please join me in my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash selfwork. And if you subscribe on my website, you'll receive a weekly newsletter, which is a great way of just keeping up with what I'm doing or things that I think you might be interested in. Again, my gratitude to all of you for listening. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.